0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Anti-Modernist Reader on the Restoration Radio Network. I am your host, Matthew Gaskin, and on this episode, I'm joined by His Lordship, Bishop Donald Sanborn, of Most Holy Trinity Seminary, Brooksville, Florida. Hello, my Lord, thank you for joining us.
1: Yes, hello, and nice to be here.
0: On this episode, we are going to be discussing an article written by His Lordship back in 1991 concerning three different approaches to dealing with the current crisis in the Church. The article starts with the key question of where is the church, and then presents and critiques the three main areas. On a personal side note, I would like to say that this is my first episode for True Restoration. It's a wonderful chance for you to practice some charity and bear with me in patience. I will also be addressing his Lordship as your Lordship or my Lord. For those listening in the UK, no, this does not mean that I recognise local ordinary jurisdiction in his lordship. This is simply a traditional English or British way of addressing a bishop who would ordinarily be a lord in the court of the monarch. So although your excellency is the contemporary way of addressing a bishop without ordinary jurisdiction, nobody should be scandalised if I use this form of address for one of the few bishops left in the world who are still teaching the truth. We are nothing if not traditional here at Restoration, and I hope that our American listeners will excuse this Peculiar British idiosyncrasy. Incidentally, in 16th century England, the parish priest was addressed by parishioners as Sir, followed by his Christian name. Although, I will probably not be addressing Father Chicada as Sir Anthony any time soon. <laughs> unless, of course, he would like me to.
1: <laughs> I think Father Chicada would be rather pleased by that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, maybe we'll have to... Uh, in a future episode, perhaps uh, perhaps it can
2: be arranged. We'll see what he says. <laughs> <laughs> to
0: the matter in hand, this is an excerpt from the Anti-Modernist Reader. And it was an article written by your lordship back in 1991, in, in autumn of 1991. And in the article, you are simply addressing the three approaches to dealing with the current crisis in the church. So, bearing in mind it was back in 1991, and it was written some time ago, could you please give the listeners, your lordship, uh, an idea of the context in which you in which you wrote this article? Yes,
1: back in 1991, and even now it's the same, uh, but back in 1991 you had essentially three camps of traditionalists. One was the Ecclesia Dei traditionalists who were given a license to function as a result of the 1988 consecrations by Archbishop Lefebvre. John Paul II, in reaction to that, set up a, a way in which to have the traditional mass and still have the approval of modernist Rome. The second was the uh, Society of St. Pius X, as, uh, as, which is well known. And the third was the Sede of Acanthus. So everyone fell into one of those categories, pretty much. Uh, you know, I, I can't think of a, a fourth one. And so the article discusses these three different ways of reacting to the changes of Vatican II and how it relates to indefectibility and resistance so each of these entities is giving a, a certain resistance to vatican ii even the ecclesia dei entity as much as it is in in union with the modernists, nevertheless gives a certain resistance to vatican ii it doesn't like it and and is essentially tolerating it and wants to live in in a a, a world of at least liturgical tradition sspx gives a certain amount of resistance to vatican ii and its changes, although it is very ambivalent on Vatican II itself, the doctrines of Vatican II. There is a lot of change in their position. Their position is not clear on a lot of these issues. And in their history, they have seen a lot of zigzagging on those issues. But in any case, in general, the Society of St. Pius X doesn't like Vatican II and its changes, and they uh, conduct a worldwide apostolate against the changes of Vatican II, and um, therefore, you know, we could, we could say that they, they are opposed to it, at least to a great extent. The third is the state Thetavacanthus, who uh, also resist Vatican II in principle, saying that it is a substantial change of the Catholic religion, and therefore cannot come from the Catholic hierarchy, because that would be against the indefectibility of the Church. So that's what it really gets into, is how do you offer resistance to an indefectible church? If the church is indefectible in its essential characteristics, if it cannot defect from Christ's constitution of it, uh, and it cannot defect from its essential end, which is to sanctify the human race and to teach the truth, why are you offering resistance to it? And how do you justify your resistance? There's an obvious contradiction there that needs to be addressed. Because if it's indefectible, why would you ever need to resist it? But that's the context of it. Those three paths, so to speak, for the traditionalists are, are still there. And really nothing has changed substantially since 1991 as regards to the, we might say, the roadmap. They're all there, they're all functioning, why it's a very topical issue even though it's what 25 years old almost 24 years old the uh the uh,
0: article well it certainly is topical it seems that with the nervous order everybody has their everybody has their breaking point and i've heard a lot recently of people who are disgusted with bergoglio they perhaps haven't understood up until this point that really bergoglio isn't not the problem, Vatican II is the problem and the Bergoglio is the full flowering of Vatican II. Whereas before it was to a greater or lesser extent hidden. And a lot of people are asking now, well, we don't like this man, but the church must be visible. So we can't move away from this man because he must be visible. So the points in this in this article are just as as relevant now as they were back in nineteen ninety one. At the root of all the disputes The question is, where is the church? That's what conservative Novus Ordo are are looking at now and they're saying, well, this this man isn't a Catholic, but where where is the church? What do I do? So the first question, and this is a a pretty big question, but I'm sure in your very succinct manner, you can answer it pretty quickly. Can the Catholic Church be identified with the Novus Ordo religion?
1: The answer is clearly no, but that is the central question. Before you can move on to any other theological question, one must answer this question. Is Vatican II, together with its subsequent changes, liturgical, disciplinary, and and other changes, the whole Vatican II effect and and religion, we might say, is that a continuation of Roman Catholicism or not? That question must be answered if you do not answer that question, yes or no, because it's only yes or no, you cannot possibly make any sense of anything else you may ask. So, because it all depends on that. If, obviously, the Novus Ordo, we'll call it the Novus Ordo, meaning the the the, the, the ensemble of doctrinal changes since Vatican II and, and liturgical and disciplinary changes. If the Novus Ordo is a, a subs- uh, substantially, uh, continuous development uh, of Roman Catholicism, and its changes are merely accidental. Then, then we have to identify the Catholic Church with the Novus Ordo. It's very simple, and that's the position of, uh, of course, all you know, the, the great mass of Novus uh who are pleased as punch with the. I don't know if you say that in England, but uh yes, they, yeah. i mean, very, <laughs> very pleased with the transformation of Roman Catholicism into something that is fitting to the modern world. Uh, Most people are really happy with it. There is a small group of people who are not. And those who have embraced the ecclesia dei, we also call it indult, we call it motu proprio, that is any sort of licensed organization that is licensed by the modernists to continue traditional mass, and a few traditional disciplines, in the context of the Novus Ordo, they have taken the position officially that the Novus Ordo is a legitimate and substantially the same development of Roman Catholicism. Now, that's that's on their paper. You know, that, that's uh, something that is official for them. Whether they believe that in their hearts, uh, I highly doubt. <laughs> uh, I don't think they would have such a visceral reaction to it. Uh, if uh, if it were really a continuation. But in any case, that's what they say, and that's what they're willing to accept. That was part of the deal, and uh, so that, that's their approach to it. So they don't have, in that sense, a problem with continuity. They don't have a problem with visibility. They have their visible hierarchy, which is the Nova Ordo hierarchy, and uh they are in agreement with Vatican II and its changes that that's uh you know all fine if it they might consider it imperfect and not sufficiently explicit concerning the doctrines, but not in itself objectionable, so they really don't have an ecclesiological problem although i'm I'm speaking as I said on their on paper. You know, when you talk to them, they have a horror of Vatican II. They have a horror of the New Mass, which seems to be contrary to what they're saying. How could you have a horror of something that is substantially Catholic? <laughs> Why would you <laughs> refuse to say it if it's substantially Catholic? The word, the adjective Catholic, is so strong. That means it's in total conformity with all of the teachings of the Church and with everything that flows from those teachings. Nothing could merit the adjective Catholic unless it were perfect, unless it were substantially perfect. And what is substantially perfect could never be a a, a source of horror to a Catholic. But these priests in these organizations that have this license from the modernists, they they have a horror for all of that stuff. And uh, so they really don't have an ecclesiological problem. And I would say in their favor, that at least they are consistent that what they're saying is in conformity with Catholic teaching concerning the nature of the Church. They do not contradict any principles of the Church's indefectibility or infallibility in as much as they see this as a legitimate development. So they they are consistent and logical with the the, uh, teaching of the Church on those things, although I think they're all wrong. On saying that this is a legitimate continuity, a legitimate form of Catholicism, to call the Novus Ordo a legitimate form of Catholicism, the Order, the form of Catholicism I, I think they're all wrong, and I think in the depths of their hearts they they know it. Uh, but that that's the uh, the first way to deal with the problem. Uh, the the second way to to deal with the problem was with the Society of Saint Pius X. And this is where it gets really knotted, because on the one hand, they're saying that this is the Catholic hierarchy, uh, the Novus Ordo hierarchy, and on the other hand, they're saying, well, we have to resist practically everything that we're told to do by them. Uh, Archbishop Lefebvre said we have to sift the magisterium for what is Catholic, what is non-Catholic. And they sift everything. They sift the disciplines with the effect that There's virtually nothing that the Novus Ordo instructs them to do that they abide by. Virtually nothing. And that makes a statement because their actions speak louder than their words. They are saying that the Novus Ordo in general is unacceptable. It is a distortion of Catholicism, and in order to preserve your faith and and in order to go to heaven, you must resist this. And then, so the obvious question comes up, well, how do you resist an indefectible church? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, if a Protestant were looking at this, he'd say, well, there's something wrong here that you're saying your church is indefectible, it's infallible. And here you're offering this universal worldwide resistance. You're trying to draw people away from the Novus Ordo, you're trying to draw people away from the hierarchy which you yourselves recognize as being the representatives of Christ upon Earth. Does that make any sense at all? Is there any sense in that? So that that's where it's, is as I said, very knotted uh then there the you know the third way is the satanic campus to uh say that uh it is a substantial change the novus ordo is a substantial change it is an alteration of catholicism it is a distortion it is a a substantial transformation of it uh it has no continuity doctrinally liturgically or with regard to discipline uh with the past the novus ordo religion cannot be identified with the pre-vatican II Catholicism that that has you know been practiced for many centuries and therefore <clears throat> the the hierarchy that promulgates it cannot possibly be endowed with the authority of Christ to teach rule and sanctify the church because you would have to therefore if you were to give them that authority and concede that authority to them you would have to say that Christ wills this evil transformation of Catholicism because their authority is the authority of Christ. Pius XII said that there is a single authority in the Church. Uh, so their authority is the authority of Christ, and therefore it would be the will of Christ that we accept the Novus Ordo and that we accept all of these contradictory doctrines and practices and liturgical Uh, practices, that these would have to be uh, seen to be proceeding from Christ. So the State of Acanthus are saying, because the Church is indefectible, we must say that the defect, the defection, must lie with those who can defect. That is, with the human beings who are occupying these Episcopal uh, thrones, and they, they in fact do not have the power to teach, rule, and sanctify. Uh, and they are not a true hierarchy. So that that's that's what's behind the, the, the state of the campus. So that shows the, the three ways of uh, reacting to the problem in a nutshell. So as I said, the first way, you know, it doesn't have a problem with visibility, but <laughs> I think that uh, what is visible is something pretty ugly.
0: <laughs> yeah. It seems that at the core of the the problem here, for a lot of people, a lot of people who are horrified by what's going on at the moment, they're looking at uh, visibility and they're looking at indefectibility. And they're saying, well, hang on a minute, is indefectibility with the structure of the church or the faith of the church or both inseparably? Well, in 1896, uh, Leo XIII answered this question in Certus Cognutum. He said, the connection and union of both elements talking about faith and uh, faith and structure, is an absolutely necessary to the true church as the intimate union of soul and body is to the human nature. The problem you have now is, if you do accept that the changes of Vatican II are substantial changes and not, not merely accidental changes, as a Novus Ordo conservative or somebody in the SSPX who's thinking about this, what problems do you face if the Novus Ordo Church is Catholic, and what problems do you face if the Novus Ordo Church is not Catholic? You have to make your choice one way or the other. Perhaps you'd like to to comment a little on that.
1: Well, if you're saying the Novus Ordo Church, uh, well, I I reject that term, Novus Ordo Church, because the the Novus Ordites, the modernists, never founded a separate institution. So I I reject the term conciliar church, uh, uh, Novus Ordo Church, as if it were something like the Anglican Church, a separate institution uh, that is both heretical and separated as an institution, as a body from the Catholic Church. The Novus Ordoites never did that, and that's the problem, that they never did that. See, they should do it. They should have the, the, the basic decency to say, well, we don't agree with all of this ancient Catholicism. Let's go our own way. Let's form our own hierarchy, something like the old Catholics did, uh, and and uh, be a, our own religion. If they had done that, there would be no problem in the Church, because no one would confuse them with Catholicism. But instead, they had the diabolical cunning to submerge during the... Uh, times of of the repressions of modernism and to emerge one day in places uh, of of authority as the weakness of certain popes in in the 20th century failed to root them out. And so they emerged in in these places with all of their liberal ideas and all these ideas of the transformation of Catholicism in a position of appointment or election, therefore having an attachment to the body of the church, but being detached by their heresy from the s- spiritual aspects of the church, which are far more important.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The soul is more important than the body. So that is the problem. That is the essential problem. And that is the the source of all of the confusion, is that they are claiming to have the authority to make these changes because they have emerged from a legitimate succession into these places of authority and therefore they have the authority and you must accept these changes and if you don't then you're outside the church that that is the way the changes were accepted by so many people who wants to be outside the church these people are you know they're in the chancery offices they are they are wearing miters they they are in our churches and for all intents and purposes they they seem to be the the local bishop and and then you have uh, you know somebody that's wearing a white cassock in in the Vatican and for all intents and purposes he seems to be validly elected and that's how it all went down the the throats of the Catholics in the very name of the authority that is supposed to uh, and anointed to uh protect catholic truth from error so that, that's that, that's something to understand uh about this whole thing is that aspect of it and now this gets you know as far as visibility of the church uh the the church is visible by its hierarchy by its sacraments uh by everything that you can see and and, and touch it has an invisible aspect to it, which is its faith and the graces that are, are given to people through the sacraments and actual graces which come to people, the infusion of the virtues. that gives the the real definition to the church, because you could have a you could have a hierarchy, you know any kind of hierarchy. The Anglicans have a hierarchy. The Greek Orthodox have a hierarchy but if it doesn't profess the true faith then it's it's a, a shell that's all it is it it is something that uh uh has uh no value as a as a church now the difference though with the novus ordo hierarchy and this is where you get into the question of what we call a thesis the those who hold to the thesis say the novus ordo hierarchy although they do not bear the authority nevertheless they do have legitimate elections and appointments, so that they are in a position to become the true hierarchy if they one day profess the Catholic faith. And they would say that preserves uh, visibility and apostolic succession in these times, because there is a visible structure. The Novus Ordo has, has kept up the visible structure of the Church, but they have not kept the essential qualities and invisible qualities of the catholic church which make it to be catholic uh, i know it's a very difficult thing for the average person to distinguish but that really is in my opinion the the solution to all of the problems to see it that way because people have a real stumbling block in this in this problem of the church with visibility i uh, you know how, where is the church it seems as though say, the sadistic Vicantists are saying the church has has come to an end. The the people who have who have embraced the Ecclesia Dei and Motu Proprio, well, you know, they just are accepting the Novus Ordo. They have become something like the High Anglican Church. The the ritualists, the Puseyites, who you know have beautiful vestments <laughs> and incense and all, and that's all they're attached to. They're not pleased with that either. Then they go to SSPX and they say oh this is the best of both worlds we are united with the pope they they say and at the same time we can do what we want and preserve tradition and that's 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 where i want to be because i don't want to be detached from the pope but yet i want to preserve tradition that is the key to their popularity unfortunately it's all a lie
0: the people who are again looking at this i want to have a bit more of a look at indefectibility you point out in the article that the primary indefectibility of the church is manifested by unchanging doctrine, a monarchical structure, an apostolic mission to teach rule and sanctify, and orders. And that if it ever abandoned any of these, it would, in effect, affect. If we look down at those four, those four headings, unchanging doctrine, monarchical structures, apostolic mission to teach rule and sanctify, and holy orders are there any of those that are untouched by the Novus Ordo?
1: Well, they don't have the apostolic mission to teach, rule, and sanctify. They have um, uh, compromised Nova, uh, their holy orders by changing the episcopacy primarily. Uh, the The only thing left in them is an apostolic succession materially. That is, they have, uh, they, they continue the line without having the power you see the line, that is the succession of, of the 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 line comes from below. Uh Christ has confided the uh, selection of popes and bishops to uh to the church. So what comes from below uh is still intact because they have not ceased to uh Elect uh, popes and and uh, appoint bishops. As a matter of fact, they have kept those things very much in order, as as far as who's who and uh, who succeeds to what, and uh, they they have not in any way discontinued that. There is a continuity there, and because they have never been cut off by the authority of the church, uh, they uh, have a legal, a purely legal legitimacy. That is that they they can still. Uh, claim the authority if they remove the obstacles to having it. The obstacle that they pose to, to the authority is the uh, intention to teach this new religion. And because that is intrinsically incompatible with authority, it is impossible that they obtain the authority. Authority by its very nature is ordered toward the common good of the community over which it is set and the most fundamental common good of the catholic church is the preservation of the true faith if they have the intention of foisting upon the catholic church a new false religion it is impossible that they obtain the authority because they would be undermining an essential end the essential end and goal of the Catholic Church, so you have this odd combination of people who have an appointment but cannot achieve the authority, and uh, so there is actually a, uh, in that sense, a visible structure there, but a structure that lacks authority because they have uh, failed in in so many ways, uh, uh, you know, holy orders and, and other ways. The only thing, the only continuity that the Novus Ordo has is that continuity of succession. And that is what is so confusing because it is so visible that it it is so people say well if they have continuity of succession therefore they must have continuity in all of these other things. And they don't. That that is the 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 core of the problem. And again, you know, if the archbishop of Canterbury, the Anglican archbishop of Canterbury were to pronounce some heresy tomorrow, no Catholic would care. Well, he's the Archbishop of Canterbury. What do you expect him to say?
2: Exactly. <laughs>
1: Except <laughs> heresy. Uh and and uh, uh no one would care at all because he he is cut off from the church both by faith and by apostolic succession. He's got nothing. In other words, he is a a, a branch that has been cut off and and has no legitimacy whatsoever. Uh, he, he is, you know, no more an ecclesiastic than the man who collects the, let's see, you say uh, rubbish, I think.
2: Uh, yes.
1: the, <laughs> the, uh He's he's not a priest. He, he's nothing. He's a lay person in a purple cassock.
0: As well, but, far as so, the Catholic Church is concerned. But we need to, uh, we need to, re, you know, have another look at Apostolic Curia, don't we? Uh, well, that's, yes. that's what the that's what the Novus Ordo says. <laughs> so yes, okay, even so, though Leo the Thirteenth was
1: explicit about how definitive that was.
0: Yes, well that was then, and this is now. You know, things change. You know, we 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 can't get stuck in this sort of uh, dogma. Yeah. To some of those four points, the unchanging doctrine. Well, the Novus Ordo has taken a big hammer to that. Um, mm-hmm. The monarch the monarchical structure through collegiality is. What do you say about that, what collegiality has done to the monarchical structure?
1: It's a false doctrine. Uh, It's uh, collegiality. uh, Vatican II uh, said both things. It said the Pope is the head of the Church, but also the College of Bishops is is the head of the Church. Uh, So uh, it says both things, um, which uh, means that uh, uh, you have a false doctrine uh, and therefore a lack of continuity with the past as i said the right. only continuity they have it's not in doctrine it's not in sacred liturgy it's not in discipline the only continuity they have is the continuity of succession into those places which are meant to have authority that's right that's it <laughs> <laughs> uh, and some would not even grant them that but uh, i i do i'm of that mind that that uh, they they do have that for various other reasons that would be a whole other show to talk about that we won't get into that now, but uh, that's um, uh, and but I do think that that theory should be attractive to those who are troubled by visibility and succession. Yeah. I think I think it should be attractive to them. But again, I I want to you know distract
0: uh, us from what we're saying here. Of the three solutions to the question, uh, or the three answers to the question, is the Novus sect Catholic? In in the article, you basically present the options of the ecclesia day position which is yes it is uh, the Lefebvre's position which you describe as a salad position which is a mixture of the mixture of uh, ecclesia day instead of a uh, which is which is what i would say it's the yes and no position and then the sort of a position which is the no position i want to have a look at each at each solution i want to look at particularly ecclesia day or you could call this the indult position or the latin mass uh, Latin masses and uh, people who are who are still within the Novus Ordo, but they, they think they've found a traditionally-minded or very conservative priest, and they're, they're happy to go there. In the article, you point out that Ecclesia Day was essentially formed in 1988. There was mm-hmm. an agreement that Archbishop Lefebvre signed with Rome, and then the next day uh, withdrew his signature. A lot of seminarians' priests left and went to join the... Uh, the FSSP, you point out in the article that essentially they accept Vatican II, they accept the new code of canon law, they accept the validity of the new sacramental forms, and they accept the legitimacy of the Vatican II, quote, popes, unquote. We've talked about Vatican II, and the sort of sacramental forms could be a whole show. And the legitimacy of the Vatican II popes we've also spoken about I'd like to hear what you have to say about the new code of canon law because there are some things in that new code that I think a lot of Catholics who are thinking about this problem would be horrified about. Could could you speak a little bit about the new code of canon law and the, some of the horrible things it contains?
1: Uh, yes, it, uh, for one thing, it contains the heresy concerning the church of Vatican II. Uh, Vatican II in Lumen Gentium Uh, distinguish the Church of Christ from the Catholic Church. It says that the the Church of Christ subsists in the Catholic Church. And if you look at the commentaries, that was hotly discussed uh, at Vatican II, and that terminology was chosen precisely for the sake of ecumenism. Because if you absolutely identify the Church of Christ with the Catholic Church, well, how do you go to Anglicans, for example, and say, well, we are the Church of Christ uh, we, because we're the Catholic Church. Well, then you're nothing, and you're outside the Catholic Church. Uh, it doesn't make for you know a pleasant atmosphere for ec- ecumenical discussion, that you have no connection to the Church of Christ. So it used that term subsists in, that is, it achieves its external uh, expression, we might say, or its body, uh, in the Catholic Church. Therefore, the Church of Christ has a bigger uh, spread, we might say, than than the uh, Catholic Church, because the Catholic Church has its structures and and you it's uh, very visible. You belong to it or you don't, and uh, it, it's a uh, it's just a uh, like a corporate expression. Of the Church of Christ, that is a heresy. Uh, Pope Pius XII said the, that the Church of Christ is the Catholic Church, the mystical body of Christ is the Catholic Church. He's very explicit about it. That was even brought up at the Council and was rejected, for subsisted in it subsists in the Catholic Church. So um, that has been carried over to the Code of Canon Law uh, by the distinction between. Uh, in Latin, Christi Fidelis, which means Christ's faithful, which is a very uh, ancient term for members of the church, Catholic Church, Christ's faithful, and it's one word, the Christi Fidelis. And then you see in other parts, Christi Fidelis Catholici, that is the Catholic Christ's faithful. Well, the conclusion is that, that <laughs> of course, that there are Christ faithful who don't belong to the Catholic Church. Yeah, uh, So it makes certain laws for for just Christ faithful, and then certain laws for Christ Catholic faithful. Uh, and uh, so uh, that's a heresy that you could be attached to Christ without being attached to the Catholic Church. That is a heresy. So the heresy was brought into the to the Code of Canon Law. It it it, it makes that distinction repeatedly. Um, It also approves of what is a mortal sin, and that is intercommunion between Catholics and Protestants, or non-Catholics, that in certain circumstances, it permits Catholics to receive communion at non-Catholic services, and conversely, that non-Catholics in certain circumstances can receive communion at a Catholic service. Now. everyone, I think, would find it easy to understand that since the Holy Communion is the very sign of the unity of the Church, that if you make a single exception to that, you blow up the whole balloon. That, That if it's a sign of the unity of the Church, the very act of going to communion is a sign of adherence to the Catholic Church. If you say, well... Protestants can can approach it or Catholics can approach Protestant communion or Orthodox communion uh, you are thereby saying uh that uh, either those Protestant communities and and Orthodox communities belong to the Church of Christ and that their Eucharist is a sign of unity of the big Church of Christ or that you can commit the sacrilege which would be a heresy or you can commit the sacrilege of receiving communion outside of the Catholic church or of giving which is even worse giving holy communion to those who are not in the Catholic church that is a mortal sin it is a sacrilege against the blessed sacrament to do that because it is a sign of the unity of the catholic church
0: now i uh, remember and,
1: uh, yes go ahead
0: well, i was just going to say i remember listening to something you said about um the laws uh, the new laws surrounding mixed marriages, that first of all, a nuptial mass was permitted for a mixed marriage, that the non-Catholic spouse is permitted to receive Communion, and that the Catholic is encouraged to learn about the non-Catholic's religion. I and mean, is that true? Yes.
1: yes, that's all true. It's uh, that, uh, And they dropped the necessity of the non-Catholic to swear that he will raise the children Catholic. Uh, and, uh, yes, they uh, they dropped the necessity uh, uh, on the part of the Catholic Party to urge the conversion of the na- non-Catholic Party. Those were the conditions of a dispensation to marry a non-Catholic. The third was that there was no danger to the uh, faith of the Catholic spouse or of the children. So those were the three conditions that had to be fulfilled in order to apply to the bishop of the diocese for a dispensation to marry a non-Catholic. And many times those conditions were not fulfilled, and you could not. But in the name of ecumenism, which is the infection of the whole council, and which gets into everything the council said, uh, in the name of ecumenism, all of these things are discarded, and uh, yes, the the non-Catholic should be open to, excuse me, the Catholics should be open to the non-Catholic religion and should study it. And, uh, you know, why do we want to study an error? Why should we study mathematics that is based on two plus two equals five? Uh, what, what you know, what purpose is there in that? Or or why should we study outmoded medicine from the
0: 17th century? <laughs>
2: it's,
1: it's, why do that? Well, it's uh,
0: not... It's not directly related to this this problem of the, of the new code of canon law, but I have to bring it up. It's something that I saw a couple of weeks ago, and it 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 epitomizes ecumenism in the nova Ordo sect, and it uh, it just it just outlines particularly for, from an English point of view uh, what what I'm going to tell you is hideous, and I'm I'm sure you'll find it pretty pretty appalling too. The uh, heretical so-called Archbishop of York and um, posted something on his. On his website, that he'd been to, or he'd sent a delegation to, Revo Abbey in uh, in Yorkshire, which is a which was a beautiful uh, Cistercian abbey before the Reformation. It's now the biggest in, ruins. in Europe. The biggest yep. in Europe. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely stunning. And you can see even now, even though it's mostly in ruins, you can see how how beautiful it would have been. They decided that they wanted to rebuild the altar where the altar stood so they've put some awful modern stonework uh there and got the what was i don't i mean i personally don't think it was the old altar stone but they they claim it is because it's just a it's just a stone it's not a it's not it's not marble it's there's nothing special about it and it's very really weathered and beaten so they've plunked this old horrible weather beaten stone on top of this new gaudy stonework And in attendance was the abbot of Ampleforth, which for people who don't know what Ampleforth is, Ampleforth is the preeminent, really, Benedictine school and abbey in North Yorkshire in England. And also the Novus Ordo Archbishop of Middlesbrough was in attendance. Um, So, you know, (laughs) define irony. Well, the Novus Ordo sect attending the, <laughs> the the rededication of an ugly altar destroyed by the Anglicans, <laughs> attending their yeah. service. Yeah, <laughs> you, you couldn't make yes. it up.
1: Um, no, this, it, it makes no sense at all. But,
0: but this, is, this is ecumenism, and this is what the new code of canon law
2: permits. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, it, and that's important because the new code of canon law is official discipline. So you can't relegate those things to, oh, some nut that that is blowing up balloons or dressing up as a clown and uh, just shove it under a rug uh, as a, a, a little anomaly someplace. Uh, the code of canon law is official, and, and it officially approves of mortal sin. That is contrary to the indefectibility of the Catholic Church because it's universal law, assuming that it was promulgated by a a Catholic Pope. It's universal law by its very nature and it contains a mortal sin. That's contrary to the sanctity of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church does not have any and cannot have any practice which is sinful because it is protected by Christ. I am with you all days, even to the consummation of the world. So that's proof positive. Uh, of the discontinuity in doctrine and and, uh, and disciplinary practice of the Novus Ordo. Uh, furthermore, as I said, ecumenism infects everything. Ecumenism is, is the precise opposite of Catholicism. Catholicism teaches that the Catholic Church is the one true Church, outside of which there is no salvation. Ecumenism says oh, all religions have a certain value and perhaps catholicism is the best of all the religions but they all have a certain value and uh they say the orthodox are are part of the uh the church of Christ and uh, they you know, have this legitimate hierarchy and and that the anglican communion is an ecclesial community or something like that that has elements of of church in it and therefore is something to be venerated um, I, I compared that once to an airplane that has elements of airplane. You know, you arrive at the gate and you see that it has, you know, one wheel <laughs> and and one engine and, you know, uh, has, has elements uh, of airplane as, as you're pondering going to Europe or from Europe to the U.S., as the case may be. Uh, I, <laughs> you know, you're not going to get on an airplane. Doesn't,
0: and, and doesn't so, sound like a good idea to me. <laughs> no.
1: The the integralness of the of the, the 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 whole thing the structure the faith everything the integralness of the integrity of it is essential uh, that it is not sufficient to just have parts and those parts that the Anglican religion might have or any other false religion might have are stolen from the Catholic Church they're they're stolen just as those great cathedrals in England are stolen from the from the catholic church uh, they they were built for roman catholicism it's very clear when you walk through them that they are entirely roman catholic uh, except for the you know the protestant additions to them but that they are in, c- entirely roman catholic in spirit and uh in their architecture uh, everything about them just speaks and, and sings roman catholicism but they are houses of heresy, uh, and and there there is uh, for that reason no legitimacy in them.
0: Right. So that's the Ecclesia Day position uh, pinned down. So for people who are attending indoor masses, then you know we're sorry to have to say that you do implicitly and sometimes explicitly accept all of those things. Now, with regard, I'm gonna we're going to move on to the the. Uh, that the the uh position now, which is the sort of the yes and no, uh, you know, the Novus sort of sect is and is not Catholic. We're going to move on to that position now. But uh, I just want to stick very quick. Uh, just want to mention very quickly again the, co- the new code of canon law. Now, does the SSPX accept the new code of canon law, my lord? Yes, they do.
1: They say they do.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, OK. That's their official position,
0: <laughs> that they accept the new code of canon law. And why are they so difficult to pin down, just generally? Not not really with regards to the Code Canon, but why are they so difficult to pin down?
1: Well, that's that goes back to Archbishop Lefebvre himself. He, he moved around a great deal, theologically. I knew him from 1971 on, and uh, knew him very well, and interacted with him daily, practically, for many years and, and wrote many letters uh, to him. and you know, we, we had a lot of personal contact. He uh, went back and forth and back and forth uh, according to the temperature in Rome, according to his hopes of a reconciliation uh, as they uh, declined and fell. Uh, so the SSPX has always pursued a flexible position one in which uh, you know they're not tied down to anything for example in 2012 if i'm not mistaken they said no uh negotiate or no no reconciliation with rome until rome returns to tradition
0: yes it is now
1: i remember that and correct me if i'm wrong well, what are they talking about now well,
2: well exactly yeah exactly
1: <laughs> you know, they they are on the cusp uh, of uh, hmm. I mean, uh, of a, a reconciliation
0: with Bergoglio,
1: who says there's no Catholic God. Uh, it hasn't
0: got <laughs> it, it, it hasn't got any better, has it, since Ratzinger. <laughs> no. no, it hasn't got. I mean,
1: I, I, I don't understand. Well, I I do understand it, but you know, at face value, I don't understand it. If in 2012 you're making that declaration, no, no uh, reconciliation with Rome until they return to the faith. And now you're hearing things that uh, I've never seen so much chatter, we might say. Uh, It's the only word for it. uh, Of a coming reconciliation as now. And we've been waiting for 40 years for this
2: reconciliation. (laughs) Uh,
1: You know, this is like 40 years in the desert uh and and uh the the uh so but I've never seen so many indications for example you have the uh, Argentinian bishops who have admitted the SSPX as part of the Catholic Church so that they actually get recognition from the Argentinian government and they get a check in the mail their priests get uh-huh. a check in the mail as a result of that recognition uh you have bishop Felle in California saying that the Vatican has given him the authority to adjudicate uh, problem priests, uh, I'm paraphrasing, uh, problem priests in the Society of St. Pius X. You have the comment of uh, Monsignor Putz or Putzi, who said essentially everything is ready. It's just that Bishop Fellay has to make sure that on his side, uh, and I'm paraphrasing again, uh, his own people are ready for this.
2: Yeah, uh, the, the, and, yeah.
0: It, it, essentially locking everybody up, just getting every, trying to figure out who won't go along with it, purging the set of acanists, get, getting rid of them, and then um, I, the problem, the problem I have is that I I I don't see much horror among the among the the laity that they just seem to think, oh okay, that's fine, we'll go along with it. They don't seem to understand. Well, the problem is when when Bishop Fellay issued a sta- issued a statement in Corunum, their official publication a couple of years ago. I think it was actually I think it was twenty twelve. I think it was the same year. He said, mm-hmm. "Well, a doctrinal a doctrinal reconciliation is is uh, the doctrinal agreement is essentially no longer a problem. We can simply do a deal, and on on a practical level, we don't have to agree about doctrine." Now, surely some SSPX laity. I must ring alarm bells. No, no Catholic would ever say that. No, no Catholic would ever compromise doctrine. But of course, they can't deny now that they are getting ready to to make this agreement and to move over, because the authorities in Rome, in the form of Monsignor Pozzo, the Day Commission, has stated it publicly.
1: Yes, yes. There was one other thing, and I just can't remember it right now. But there was one other incident that pointed to. Uh, Coming reconciliation. I've never seen that in the last forty years.
0: So well, a, uh, a, car- I, I, a cardinal visited Zeitzkofen.
1: Yes, yes, that's true too, and also Winona in uh, the United States.
0: Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know
1: that. Uh, uh, to my understanding, he did, uh, and uh, uh, it, you know, it's a strong sign. I've never seen such strong signs. Uh, who knows? I mean, they they've been uh, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> attempting to do this for so long. <laughs> Uh, but uh, the uh, the principle. I mean, that, getting back to the original point, you know, you can't pin them down. I mean, they had that meeting in 2012. They were very clear: no, no reconciliation until Rome returns to tradition. Then they start talking again. And who are they talking to but Bergoglio? <laughs> you know, with the red nose. You know, stuck to his nose. And and. and uh, 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 is this a return to tradition, or are they going to be just another house of tradition in the the big uh, modernist tent, uh, uh, which, of course, they will be. They will be an Ecclesia Dei product. They might have a, a better situation. They'll get a personal prelature. Everything will be uh, more formal, so to speak, or, or perhaps more permanent. Uh, they'll have more freedoms. Uh, but it's
2: essentially the
1: same—an an assent to Vatican II as something Catholic uh, that that ad, admits that is a, that is a, a legitimate doctrinal development of Catholicism. They might put their own spin on Vatican II, which is worth being, as we say in the United States, uh, because uh, the you you know that you might put a spin on some doctrine doesn't mean that that is the doctrine that was intended at Vatican II. That's nice. protestantism you know that you have your spin uh, on on some sort of uh, um doctrine of the church or what you read into it that that's just that's just pure protestantism that's all it is but you know so getting back they, they have been very fluid in their positions and have zigzagged and uh have have contradicted uh, themselves many times archer Lefebvre as he was approaching the consecrations of 1988, made uh, excoriating statements concerning John Paul II, compared him to the Antichrist, and and uh,
2: all just
1: awful things uh, in in the lead up to that. Then there was the consecration, and again he
2: blasted
1: John Paul II and the modernists at the consecration. Then to journalists. After the consecration ceremony, he said, "Oh, don't worry. You know, in five years everything will be regulated. Everything will be all right again. It'll be all settled." What you? know, you're all these. Things. You're you're declaring war on the what you profess to be the Catholic hierarchy by consecrating bishops without a mandate. That's war in the Catholic Church. But and then, well, everything will be okay in a, in a few years.
0: They know that the Catholic Church cannot give evil or invalid rights. They know that, which is why they are at great pains to say that the mass is not intrinsically evil, even though it must either be Catholic or it's not. So they have to maintain this middle ground. And part of this middle ground is what you describe as the two popes theory. Could you briefly address the two popes theory and how that helps them maintain their position?
1: Yes, they distinguish uh, two churches. One is the uh, the conciliar church, and then one is the the Catholic church, and that there is a a, a single pope who is you know the head of two churches. So when he uh, acts and speaks like a Catholic, well then he's the head of the Catholic church. When he acts and speaks like a modernist, well then he's the head of the conciliar church. So effectively, you have. Two popes. Uh, I mean, there's only one person, but effectively you have two popes, and this is their, uh, I would say, absurd explanation of what the reality is. The reality is what I explained: that modernists, heretics, uh, came up through subterfuge and by having submerged during the the certain pontificates. They came up into the ranks of the hierarchy, and they have decided to impose a false religion upon the structures of the Catholic Church. That is the reality, and therefore the Catholic must reject them uh, just as the sheep would run away from a wolf that's wearing a sheep's outfit, because that's what they are. As soon as they are discovered to be a wolf, all of the sheep run out as uh, a traffic jam at the gate, trying to get out <laughs> away from the wolf as soon as they discover that, and and do not recognize the wolf despite his outfit as a, a, a true Catholic hierarch. See, that is the Catholic, the, the way Catholics should act. That is the indefectibility of the Church. Just as when a a, a disease infects your body you're in your bloodstream if you're healthy uh your immune system is going to send out all of these white blood cells and they're going to attack that thing until it's dead and and then you're going to to pass it eventually uh that that's that's the built-in uh life preserving uh, element in your body that God has placed there it's a wonderful you know you think about it that that these things figure out this structure. I mean, we know now how it all works. That they figure out the the uh, atomic structure and they link themselves up to these these antibodies, uh, rather these these invading disease-carrying things, and they they uh, neutralize them and then and then they go away. Uh, and, and so the church in in finding out that the, you know the, these wolves are there with with uh, with uh, lamb's wool lambswool uh, outfits on uh they they immediately react to them that that is the the reaction of grace and faith to the heretic uh but to, to <laughs> you know to say well you know as, as if he's some sort of two-faced <laughs>
2: so
1: that, <laughs> what it means is that that the pope is not their authority but the Superior General of the Society of St. Pius X is the authority because he decides when the Pope is speaking Catholic, uh, Catholic doctrine and when he is not. That means the ultimate authority is not the Pope. It is someone beyond the Pope. And which that's is why, non-Catholic.
0: Which is why their loyalty to Archbishop the Favre is so fierce. And there doesn't seem to be in this, uh, a figure to imagine, to certainly not in Bishop Feller. He seems fairly divisive among them. Um, But their loyalty to Archbishop Lefebvre is, is absolutely of their essence. They can't get away from it. Yes. He is the saint, in
1: their view, the saint who was anointed by God to lead us through the problem in the Church. Therefore, no thought is necessary. Only loyalty to Lefebvre, because if Lefebvre thought it or did it, it had to be right. See, so the, the the all the indefectibility and infallibility of the Catholic Church is transferred to him personally, and yes, they do operate on the memory of Lefebvre. Uh, the
2: the, the uh,
1: and if you're part of them, you're part of Lefebvre's mystical body, so to speak. Um, and there was a, a a film produced in the sixties called El Cid, and at the end oh, yes. of, of of the movie, he gets hit by an arrow and he dies. Well, because they don't want to let anybody know, especially the enemy, that he's dead, they prop him up on a horse, dead. And they send yeah, yeah. him out, they, <laughs> they hit the horse, and the horse goes out, and, and then everybody's <laughs> afraid. That's what they've done with Lefebvre, you know, that they've propped him up on the horse, he's dead now, but he's still living, you know, he's still living among us, and, and we are faithful to Lefebvre. Uh, that, that is a very non-Catholic view of, great archbishop i mean i don't want to detract from all of the good that he did he did an enormous amount of good but he also did an enormous amount of bad and the yeah. good that he did was to have the courage to to oppose vatican ii and the courage to ordain priests and, and to train priests that was excellent but he did derail the traditional movement and gave it false principles and it's operating now on false principles and unfortunately it has attracted most of the people who have made some reaction to Vatican II. They I, I always compare it to uh you know one of these beautiful trains like typically you find in France, you know, they're 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 you know, high speed trains, they're they're we don't have them in this country. Our trains are from about nineteen forty seven. So you never <laughs> want to have a train ride from you know the good old days come over here and take one of our trains. But you know <laughs> the these beautiful European trains and the ones in England too they they're beautiful, high speed, everything. And you can say that in a sense about the SSPX they have, you know, everything, they have the nuns, the the priests, the schools, everything, uh, a lot of people, everything is wonderful except that the train is going the wrong way. It's <laughs> it's going to have a big crash at a certain point. Because it's on the wrong track, going the wrong way. So everybody's, you know, in the dining car eating, having fun, and and they're <laughs> on the wrong track. So what do you rejoice in? Do you say, well, you know, the archbishop was wonderful in building that train, or do you look at the fact that it's going the wrong way on the track? Mm-hmm. Hey, what what do you judge about that? And and you know, there's there's very much a, a mixed bag. <laughs> I might be using American expressions here, but I'm sure... No, no, no,
0: that's that's fine. That's (laughs) an English idiom as well. But but Uh, essentially what it boils down to is, welcome to the SSPX. You can check in your brain and any critical thinking at the door. mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Lefebvre has done all the thinking for you. Okay.
0: Okay, so very quickly, um, we would like to remind you that you are listening to the anti-modernist reader Resistance and Indefectability on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Matthew Gaskin, and I'm joined by His Lordship, Bishop Donald Sanborn of Most Holy Trinity Seminary, Brooksville, Florida. And today we've been discussing the three main approaches to dealing with the current crisis in the church. We want to remind you that this anti-modernist reader show is a production of Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at true Moving on to the sedevacantist solution, Christ said, "He who hears you hears me." Why do mm-hmm. these words of why do these words of Christ support the sedevacantist position?
1: Because if the Novus Ordo and by that I mean not only the mass but everything that the new religion is, if the Novus Ordo comes from the hierarchy of the Catholic Church than it is coming from Christ. That is the linkage that he set up. So you cannot refuse the Novus Ordo and at the same time say, you are attached to Christ. That That's the problem. That's the intrinsic problem. So it is an argument against SSPX that they, on the one hand, would like to recognize that as the Catholic hierarchy, the Novus Ordo hierarchy, as the Catholic hierarchy, but at the same time, pay no attention to what they teach. Pay no attention to the disciplines that they enact. They act as if they don't exist. They don't make any attempt to seek permission to operate schools or seminaries or any other, uh, their parishes. They just go in wherever they want, they do what they please, as if they were a systematic sect. So they they therefore repudiate that very, very important principle in the Catholic Church that the authority of the Catholic Church is the authority of Christ. That that is the Catholic Church. That's what makes the Catholic Church the true Church, that assistance from Christ, and that power invested in the authority. it's, It's what distinguishes the Catholic Church from everything else. That is the priesthood, the power to to, uh, to consecrate the sacred host, uh, that the power given to men to to be agents of Christ in the world. They must deny that, because they, in their actions which speak louder than words, they pay no attention to that hierarchy. They say that we are with the hierarchy, yet the hierarchy is not with them. If I'm walking down the street with somebody, he is is as much with me as I am with him. If I'm walking down the street by myself, I can't say I'm walking with somebody. Yeah. He's not there. <laughs> See, so when you're with uh, uh, anybody or anything, it it it, it involves two things uh, that that they are both together, but the. Uh, the Novus Ordo hierarchy considers them uh, schismatic, and, and that their their apostolate has no authorization, that it, it is uh, something that, that Catholics uh, should not attend. Uh, right. That has always been the position of the Novus Ordo. Look at Ecclesia Dei, all of the things that John Paul II said in Ecclesia Dei, uh, and, uh, which involved the excommunication of Archbishop Lefebvre and those four bishops for the fact that they did a, a an effectively schismatic act of consecrating bishops without mandate, if you regard the Novus Ordo as the true hierarchy. So the so their position is impossible. And so the State of Vicantis is going to argue this way, indefectibility is de fide. That it it pertains to faith to say that the church cannot promulgate through the in the universal way doctrines that are false disciplines that are evil and sinful and, and liturgical practices that are false uh it is impossible otherwise the promise of indefectibility the promise of being with the church all days the promise he who hears you hears me is nonsense so you would have to deny that so if you uh if you are saying that the universal church has erred in these things, then you are actually implicitly denying the faith. So the Sede of Acantus would say, it is the faith in the indefectibility of the church which requires us to draw the conclusion that those who have promulgated this do not enjoy the authority of Christ. That's the main argument of the Sede Vacantists. Uh, it really... Uh you know, the idea of the personal heresy of Bergoglio really doesn't enter into it so much. I mean, those are all valid arguments, but the real force is what I just said. It it rests on the de fide doctrine of indefectibility of the Church. So if you are taking the position that the uh, Novus Ordo is substantial discontinuity, that it is a substantial alteration, then you must conclude that it does not come from the authority of Christ. Then you must conclude that those who are presenting themselves as the true hierarchy of the Catholic Church in the Novus Ordo do not have the authority of Christ to teach, rule, and sanctify the Church, and that therefore they are a false hierarchy. Uh, that, that's the way the, the, the State of Acanthus, uh, argue. And you know whether you uh, agree with it or not, it is consistent with Catholic ecclesiological principles. Uh, that means principles that uh, the Church itself teaches concerning itself, uh, concerning the Church of Christ. And uh, it is consistent with that. And again, it is consistent with saying the Novus Ordo is substantially an alteration. It is totally consistent with that as well. And as I said in, in the, the London conference of two years ago, you have to, there's a fork in the road. You have to go one way or the other on that question. Is it yes, continuity absolutely. or not? It's yeah. yes or no on that. There is no third path. There is no gray in that. So the two the two well, let's call it solutions uh uh of the, the present crisis is either the Ecclesia Dei or the State of Acantists. Those two have consistent Catholic principles governing them. Now, the big difference is that the Ecclesia Dei is taking the road of continuity. The the Exeter Vicantus are saying discontinuity. But both are operating, you know, once they have established that principle, they're operating on Catholic ecclesiological principles. Whereas (laughs) SSPX is trying to make its way through a third path, which doesn't really declare one way or the other, theoretically, but does declare in action by their actions that Vatican II is discontinuity. But at the same time, they want to associate this discontinuity with the authority of Christ. That is not a Catholic position. And it is a little surprise that they are seeking a reconciliation with that that authority that they, you know, that they supposedly claim. Uh, that they would be satisfied to be a side chapel of tradition in the modernist cathedral. Because in principle they they offer... well, (laughs) They're content to to be within whatever, however they see the (laughs) novus. Their actions say that it isn't Catholicism, yet their words say it is. It's, It's very hard to pin them down. And I think that fluidness is there, in order precisely to react to this and that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archbishop Lefebvre, from the beginning, from the time I knew him, uh, uh, always said that the Vatican is not interested in theo- theological arguments, they're interested in numbers. How many people do you have? And that's where he decided to uh, go out and uh, produce, a, what let's call it a product, a theological product whereby people could uh say, well, we're attached to the Pope, but at the same time we're resisting, so that he can uh, he could build up a big following which he could present to the modernists in the Vatican uh and say, look, you know, we have this big following, and as he always said, please make the uh make the experiment of tradition. It was give us a a niche in which to Show everybody that tradition is right. He always (laughs) said that. He was always, always there. That was his idea from the beginning. So I would uh, therefore say that the resistance SSPX, the followers of Bishop Williamson, are wrong in saying that this would have been against, or this reconciliation would have been against the wishes of Archbishop LeFebvre. It's just not true. He was, he was of that mind from the beginning. I have a letter, I recently discovered a letter in the files of my deceased mother that I wrote to her in uh, 1974. And this was, I was still a seminarian. And the Archbishop had just told us of a bishop in Italy who was willing to take seminarians from a cone and to let them work in, in the diocese and to help out in the seminary. And I said in 1974, I wish that the Archbishop would be clear in his position that he, that <laughs> we, we, yes, that we have to understand. Now, this was before the condemnation. This was like early 74, that, that you know, he can't have it both ways. I was very surprised to read it myself uh, <laughs> that I saw the, the problem
0: already then when I was 24 were you, were years old. Meant? You know what, my lord? I don't think anybody who listens to your sermons online will be at all surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: but I was already troubled by it—that that you know that flip-flopping and and you know, are we traditional or not? Do we want to work with them or not? And you know, then you know, at that time I was out of the Novus Ordo only a few years. You know, so I still had roots in the Novus Ordo seminary, so to speak, and. Yeah, you know, that that makes you think, well, maybe I should go back to the Nova sort Seminary. <laughs> if we are going yeah. to be working with modernists, you know, alongside with modernists, what are we doing? What what is our position? Uh so uh, I should publish that letter actually. Uh, uh it's it's uh, it's a very telling thing.
0: So should, I would say I think...
1: to Bishop... go ahead.
0: No, I was just gonna say I think you should. I think people would read it, definitely. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I would say to Bishop uh, Williamson, uh, you know, I think you're wrong. I, I think that to to characterize Archbishop Lefebvre as being anti-reconciliation is just wrong. He was always for a reconciliation, and and uh, you know, to to say uh, even in his last utterances, which were you know his last public utterances that were published recently by Bishop Williamson, uh, he he doesn't. Rule it out, he just says, We cannot work with this higher this hierarchy. He doesn't say he doesn't say we cannot work with the modernist hierarchy in principle, but this hierarchy and and then another statement whereby reconciliation now you know is just not possible, always leaving that door open and I always noticed that about him that there was always the door, even after his uh, speech in Lille in nineteen seventy six he said something uh, conciliatory at the end, and something that would lead you to believe that that he wanted that same uh, niche for his uh, for his congregation uh, in the Nova Sorto. Uh So I I just disagree with the resistance. I think they are painting a picture that that is not the complete picture of Lefebvre, because only occasionally would he repudiate a, a reconciliation. Occasionally. He
0: what I talked about at the start of this show was the fact that a lot of uh, a lot of people are sort of wringing their hands and wondering within the the adult community or perhaps the spirits community perhaps some people are some people are thinking about it too, and they're looking at this problem and they they're looking at the solutions here and they're looking at the cer solution the sX solution and they're thinking well where's where's the visibility you know we we we, we you're so, you're almost conditioned as a Catholic, you know, you, you have your local parish, and you have your priest, and you have the diocese, the bishops at the head of it, and then the Pope, and the Cardinals in Rome, and, and all that thing. And they they see the set of a cantist position, and say, well, there's, there's just no visibility there. Now, for a, set of a cantist, the lack of visibility is not intrinsically problematic, because the alternative is extremely problematic you would have to associate the Novus Ordo sect with the Church, so which which we obviously can't do.
1: Yes, as I always say, it might be a little graphic, but a pile of dung is plenty visible, but it is not the Catholic Church.
2: It's
1: not the visibility of Roman Catholicism. Yeah, And that's what they're looking at in the Novus Ordo. It's plenty visible.
0: Essentially, you have to sacrifice the faith for visibility yes you do you do uh also i
1: would say that the when the catholic church is is without a pope or even a bishop of a diocese it does not detract from its visibility that that you know the the uh the vacancy of the see does not in any way detract from its visibility <laughs> because no. uh those structures belong to the catholic church any more than than say the death of a monarch ruins the monarchy uh okay. or the the you know the, those structures belong to the catholic church they are it's the divine constitution of the catholic church the problem is not visibility the problem is the filling of that office uh and certainly yes it it's a strain on the catholic church to be without uh the the hierarchy uh, to have vacancies for so long, yes, that's a strain, definitely. But to say, well, we're in order to obtain that visibility, we're going to exchange it for the faith, and say we're going to associate with the Church of Christ, the Catholic Church. Uh, the falsehood of the Novus Ordo is, is blasphemy. Yeah. The Christ, would, the, the will of Christ, that we accept these things, it's blasphemy.
0: Absolutely. You
1: know, so, yeah, very, so very the, clearly. The, the, the absence of members of the hierarchy, while it is a strain, I perfectly agree, does not in any way compromise visibility. And that's no matter which way you look at it. That is, if you're the variety of state of a contest that says they are nothing, they don't even have appointments or, or elections, uh, visibility is not in any way compromised. Or if you are of the other type that says, well, they have appointments but no power, uh your visibility actually is in their appointments. See, there there is a visibility there that, that they there is something there that could become the Catholic hierarchy. It's like a piece of wood that could become a statue. There's something there. Uh and so matter no matter which way you go on that uh that question, uh there's no there's no compromise in visibility. The uh, uh, what what they are looking at is, is a, a pile of heresy and and a pile of defection. That's what's visible. <laughs> it's funny <bloody> visible. <laughs> uh, they're not looking at the Catholic faith in that that organization.
0: No, absolutely.
1: So okay. you know they don't solve their problem.
0: No, no. They yeah yeah yeah. You know as, as I said, you have to sacrifice one thing or the other in that system. So, well, I wouldn't um,
1: even say that that we don't sacrifice visibility they no,
0: no, yeah, it, it, in, in their a... in their system in their system you have yes. to sacrifice something yeah. Yeah, yeah no not not in ours, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to read out the fundamental principles that you state um towards the end of the article, and then I'm going to read a quotation from Leo the Thirteenth that essentially backs it all up and summarizes it, so the first. Fundamental principle that you state is the Novus Order is either Catholic or it is not Catholic, but it cannot be both. The second one is if the Novus Order is Catholic, accept it. If not, reject it. There is no middle ground. And the third is it is impossible to recognize the authority of the Pope without at the same time recognizing the prerogatives of his authority. And this is a reasonably long quote, but it's worth reading out for people who, who haven't got ready access to the article. I shall read it out anyway. It's from the 13. What good is it to proclaim aloud the dogma of the supremacy of St. Peter and his successors? What good is it to repeat over and over the declarations of faith in the Catholic Church and of obedience to the apostolic see when actions give the lie to these fine words? Moreover, is not rebellion rendered all the more inexcusable by the fact that obedience is regarded as a duty. Again, does not the authority of the Holy See extend as a sanction to the measures which we have been obliged to take? Or is it enough to be in communion of faith with this See without adding the submission of obedience, a thing which cannot be maintained without damaging the Catholic faith? In fact, Venerable Brothers and Beloved Sons, it is a question of recognizing the power of this See even over your churches, not merely in what pertains to faith, but also in what concerns discipline. He who would deny this is a heretic. He who recognizes this and obstinately refuses to obey is worthy of anathema. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty, yes, heavy, pretty what, heavy stuff.
1: It is, uh, and it destroys the uh, position of the Society of St. Pius X. It's like a torpedo in its side. And blows it up.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh it, it's uh it it it's as if he were addressing them. In fact, it, actually it's Pope Pius the ninth, although Leo the thirteenth said something very similar. It was Pope Pius the Ninth, he's addressing uh the Chaldean patriarch who's saying, Oh yeah, you're the Pope, you know, we're with you and you know, Holy Father and all but we're going to do our own thing over here in, in uh Syria or whatever was. Uh, the the you know, you're not going to impose any disciplines upon us, and uh, we have our own ways of doing things. And um, in fact, exactly what SSPX says to the would-be pope, in other words, the modernist pope. Uh, that's, that's exactly it. They even say, you know, all that all we need to do is recognize him. We don't have to obey him. Yeah, um, I heard that from one of the resistance priests.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> yes, that all we have to do is recognize him, not obey him. Uh, so it it it's clearly, uh, as I said, exploded by by this statement of Pope Pius IX, as if he were speaking to the Society of St. Pius X. And it shows that their position is absolutely unacceptable and non-Catholic. It is worthy of anathema.
0: But even primary school catechism would suggest to you that to be a catholic you have to not only recognize but also submit to the roman pontiff
1: uh yes it's, it's i mean it's, it's a hypocrisy to say he is the roman pontiff and understand that in the catholic sense and say that we are not obliged to obey him in matters that pertain to to discipline uh and uh, and faith uh they they would say well he's uh the sspx responds well it's like a bad father uh you know when when he tells mm-hmm. you to do yeah. something wrong you don't have to pay attention to him which is an entirely false analogy uh for this reason first of all your father is always necessarily your father you can never change that fact <laughs> okay because no, so it's based on on physical causality Whereas the Pope is the Pope based on a, re, a spiritual relationship, which can change. He can resign. He can, you know, he's not necessarily always the Pope. Uh, and if he defects, he can you know, also f- fall from the papacy. Uh, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is that your father does not have the gift of indefectibility and infallibility. He can tell you to do something wrong. Thirdly, that argument would work. In the case of a pope who gave you a specific single command, if a pope, God forbid, said to you, spit on a crucifix, you could say legitimately no, because he's not making a universal law. He is not engaging the indefectibility and infallibility of the Catholic Church in telling you to do that. He's your superior, but he can make a mistake in those things. He is capable of that he is not capable of erring in what he prescribes for the whole church and and so that on those three counts that argument is nonsense. There is no true analogy there It's just pure nonsense. The other argument they give is, well, we had bad popes in the past, and this is a bad pope, uh, and therefore we just have to get through it and you know hope for the best the next time. Uh, The bad popes in the past were people who were worldly and uh, who had girlfriends and and mistresses and whatnot. This has nothing to do with that. I mean, if he had a hundred mistresses in that Vatican but were defending the faith at the same time, yes, that would be an awful situation, but it would not in any way affect the life of the Church. It's a false analogy. Uh, And uh, so it doesn't hold any water at all. But that, that's typically things that they say to the lay people who eat it up. And uh, one of the reasons they eat it up is because SSPX seems to fulfill everything you recently talked about. That is, uh, they are with the hierarchy, they're with the Pope. Uh, we have this visibility. We have the right to this. You see, we have a, a right to the traditions of the church, and they can't take it away from us. And therefore, we take this position in the hope one day of having our rights uh, recognized by the modernist hierarchy. Uh, That is the mentality of the SSPXer. They perceive sadificantism as a fall from the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, a, a defection from the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, and that's why they have a horror of it. In fact, it is not at all. It is actually a recognition of the fact that the hierarchy of the Catholic Church carries the assistance of Christ and carries indefectibility and infallibility in everything that regards the universal teaching and universal discipline.
0: Moving on towards the end of the article now, we're just applying those principles that we've we've spoken about, the fact that the novice order is either Catholic or it is not Catholic, but it can't be both. If the novice order is Catholic, accept it, if not reject it and it is impossible to recognize the authority of the Pope without at the same time recognizing the prerogatives of his authority. And we apply that principle to the Ecclesia Dei solution, and it can be summarized pretty much as this. accept so the Novus Ordo is Catholic, they are consistent and logical in their thinking, but they are wrong because the Novus Ordo is clearly not Catholic.
1: Yes, that's, that's a fundamental principle and a fundamental decision that everyone has
0: to make. Then, if we move to the Lefebvre's position, the the position of the Society of St. Pius X, they would say that the Novus Ordo papes are heads of two churches. The Novus Ordo is extrinsically Catholic and not Catholic. They recognize the authority of the Novus Ordo popes, but they ignore the third principle because they reject the prerogatives of that authority. Mm -hmm. And... The sort order hierarchy is the Catholic hierarchy that excommunicated the bishops that they have for a long period of time. Yet yeah, they, they mm-hmm. ignore that.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, on on that question, very quickly, can you can you as a as a member of the clergy exercise power of orders without church hierarchy approval? Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I know that's the answer, but let's,
0: let's just make it clear.
1: <laughs> well, it would be, uh, uh, just think of a pilot, say, you know, some pilot from Australia that walks onto a British Airways jet and takes it out, you know, uh, runs it down the runway and flies it out uh, to wherever he wants to go. You know, he just happens to have a, a pilot's license. Maybe he's in the military or something. He knows exactly how to fly it. In other words, he has power of orders. He has the ability. But he needs a license to take it out.
2: (laughs) They will will
1: arrest him wherever he ends up. You see, because he does not have the authorization to use that aircraft. Uh, And it's the same principle that uh, it's not sufficient to have power of orders. You need authorization. The, The sacraments must come under the governance of the Catholic Church. And that's the Catholic hierarchy. So uh, we don't just ordain people and send them out and and tell them, you know, uh, give sacraments where you will. Those sacraments are the property of the Catholic Church. They are given under the the tutelage and and government of the Catholic Church, Uh, just like any other corporation would would protect its property in that sense and, and regulate its use. Uh, so the Catholic Church. So it, it, you know the uh, the only thing that would permit it is in a situation of the absence of the hierarchy, where you do not have recourse to to the authority, to say you know we are in a in a difficult situation. Can we act in this case? Uh, and so that that's where what we call epikeia takes over. That is, if the authority were there. We can presume that they would want us to give these sacraments so that the people don't starve. That's that's the principle that we work on. SSPX cannot cite Epikeia because Epikeia is only good in the absence of the lawmaker. If you cannot contact him, if you cannot,
2: if he is away,
1: if, you know, it just there's no possible way of. of uh, but the lawmaker is, is very. You can send him an email. Uh and uh, uh so uh they cannot cite Epikeia for what they do. Uh they are just disobedient and, and schismatic in their uh in their use of the sacraments because they, they they are in defiance of of the local hierarchy according to their principles. You know, if somebody said, Well, I don't agree with with your Epikeia explanation, then it would be necessary for Catholic priests to uh lock their doors and Say mass inside their homes, and tell the lay people uh, say your rosaries, but don't ask me for a blessing for the rosary. Just say your rosaries and do your best, and do some spiritual reading, and hope you go to heaven. Yes, yeah. and, and that yeah. is such an absurd and cruel, uh, let's call <laughs> it, solution. That the will of Christ would be that the faithful die. Uh, of starvation for the sacraments and for Catholic doctrine, that they should just die as if in a desert, uh, that uh, lest we disobey the canon law which requires, you know, that we have this, this authorization. Uh, uh, given the absence of the hierarchy, uh, epic, epic, uh, uh applies, and, and I think any reasonable person
0: would see that.
2: Mm-hmm. So you
0: finish your critique of the sspx position by simply stating and it's uh it's it's in your usual pithy manner it's a broad church of crypto days to ecclesia day sympathizers which is which you know most of us have been through the sspx world and that's absolutely true from, from first and experience i can say that is absolutely true it may seem like we've spent a lot of time on the sspx position in this show but that's Essentially for the audience, that that's because it is the most difficult one to address. It's the most difficult position to discuss. The a Day solution is very is very it's wrong, but it's clear and it's easily understood. The set of Acantis position is clear and easily understood. The SSPX position is the one that takes a lot of explanation to really try to get to grips with with that position. But we'll finish off with the set of Acantis position now. As applied as having the fundamental principles applied to it. So you say in the article that it asserts ironclad philosophical, ecclesiological, and theological principles. Yet the resolution to the problem in the church still remains obscure, which is the explanation of the Novus Ordo Iniquity. You know why? Why does God allow this to happen? But at Mm -hmm. the same, but at the same time, the set of a solution does not assert contradictory things. And it maintains, it, it maintains that changes are substantial and not accidental within the Novus Ordo sect. And it also maintains that the changes are not Catholic and therefore cannot have been promulgated by the Catholic hierarchy. It leaves the providence of God for the restoration. And you've finished by stating that the set of may lead you to a mystery but it does not lead you to error or contradiction.
2: Yes, you just so I, I
1: talked to uh, Father Hugon talking about the explanations of grace. He yes. says, each system is subject both Thomism and Molinism. is subject to difficulties. In fact, the exclusion of mystery in this matter would be a sign of error. So, yes, uh, there is a mystery in this. Why God permitted this to happen uh, the the uh, I think that's the biggest mystery and and uh, you know there 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 is certainly something beyond us in this uh, but at the same time there are very clear theological principles and the state of does not contradict any of those clear theological principles uh and uh for that reason it should be elected by everyone as i said once the the wolf starts growling despite his outfit everybody should get out and that, that's essentially <laughs> what it is it's very simple just go and uh because he's going to eat you
0: that wraps up the um the article in general which is another that i encourage everybody to to who's thinking around this problem uh, you know, even if you've even if you've made up your mind that sort of is a cantism is the logical solution, um, go and read it again. Um, it, it's well worth a read; a good use of your time. Now, there's just a, one or two final questions before we wrap it up, because they're all pertinent in the light of what we've been talking about uh, during the show. Now, one question that was passed on to me before the show was, or well, one point that was made is, we need to focus on explaining. How the Saturavicans position is a solution. We we can demonstrate quite easily that the Vatican II popes are not true popes. But for those people who are concerned and who are looking to essentially make an exit from the the Novus Ordo, where where do they go? What what do they do? Well,
1: they have to find priests that are um, Saturavicans, that is, who take the Catholic position. That the Novus Ordo is a substantial alteration of Catholicism, and who put that into practice by uh, a public position of uh, repudiating the Novus Ordo hierarchy uh, as the Catholic hierarchy. That uh, that that's what they need to do in order that a uh, that a mass be Catholic. It is not sufficient that it have a Catholic right uh, or that the priest might be Catholic and he might believe everything he should. That's not sufficient. In order that it be a Catholic Mass, it must be in union with the Catholic hierarchy. Now, when the when there is a Pius XII on the throne and and uh, a Catholic uh, local bishop, their names must be in that canon of the Mass, recognizing them as the Catholic hierarchy. And he must be authorized by the, the pope and the bishop to say that mass. If those things are lacking in, the, in a time, in a normal time, that mass is a non-Catholic mass, even if it's the most beautiful thing you've ever been to. It's a non-Catholic mass. It is outside the church. It is displeasing to God. Conversely, right. if there is a vacancy of the sea, as when any legitimate pope dies, the way in which that mass is in union with the catholic hierarchy is by leaving the name out because to put any other name in there would be to associate the mass with a non-catholic hierarch so the the absence of the name in the canon of the mass is a sign of being united to the church's hierarchy so if now, you put in yeah
0: go ahead well, I was just going to make the point as well that some people forget about you the priest also has to mention the name of the local ordinary in the canon. is that right correct now in where where I live in England uh our local ordinary well my local ordinary is would be is would where <laughs> yeah, yeah, we well is would be would be the Cardinal Archbishop of Westminster, and that yeah. post is currently held by a man called Vincent Nichols. And Vincent Nichols, in relation to the uh, relatio that was released last year, said that in re- with regards to homosexuality, the relatio didn't go far enough. Now, when mm-hmm. I when I stated that the when I stated to to uh, somebody who is you know making a bolt for the door from the Nova door, when, when I when I put that clearly to him, I said, remember that you have to mention the name of the local ordinary as well. And that's Vincent Nichols, and that's what he said about the relapse. Here. You know, he was mm-hmm. horrified. He was horrified. He didn't realize. He didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it's not. It's not just the pontiff. It's your local bishop as well. So you need to. Well, what would be your local bishop? So, you know, Catholics need to think about that. What What does your local bishop believe?
1: Yes. The the uh, they cannot take a Protestant view of the mass, and that is this is personal worship. I like it. I need it. It's good for me. That's Protestant. That's what Protestants go to their churches. They need a little uh, shot in the arm and a little revival, as we call them in the U.S. Uh, that is not Catholic. You go to the the Catholic Mass in order to worship God, not to obtain some sort of spiritual pick me up.
2: That's exactly the words we use, yeah. Yeah,
0: <laughs>
1: the the uh, you know you can your devotions might do that or. I mean, you know, uh, but the the Catholic Mass is the public worship of God, and, and it must be done through the Catholic Church, through the Catholic hierarchy. It must not be in union with false hierarchs. If it is, it ceases to be a Catholic Mass, and it is displeasing to God. No matter how beautiful it is, no matter how splendid the vestments and the incense and everything else, it lacks an essential order to the Catholic Church.
0: So, if people cannot find a priest that will not uh, offer Mass non unicum and whoever else happens to be in the uh, local see, what else can they do?
1: Well, they, then they should not go either to the Nova Ordo or to, to any mass that is in union with the Novus Ordo hierarchy. They just cannot go. They're, they're in the position of many Catholics who lived in times of persecution. But they should do everything in their power and make great sacrifices in order to see a mass, at least occasionally maybe, if they can afford it only once or twice a year or four times a year, uh, to uh, either... Travel a long distance, or to um, to uh, bring in a priest. I know some people in in Norway that that bring in priests to say mass for them. Uh, uh, they, when I was in England the past two times, uh, there were people who took the the boat from Ireland over to to England and made their way to London. Uh, in order to attend such a mass which, you know which is a big sacrifice uh yes. uh I was very very pleased by their their sacrifices and God I'm sure is very pleased by that uh the the integrity of the faith is is the, the whole issue and and not as i said uh, spiritual pick me ups uh the the uh, what is what is the catholic mass and if it's if it's once a year then i will go once a year but I will not compromise the, the Catholic faith. That is what n- made the, that's what preserved the, the Catholicism of English Catholics and of the Irish Catholics. Unfortunately, as I just said in my recent newsletter, Ireland has now apostas- apostatized from the Catholic faith after 15 centuries, approximately, uh, with yep. their vote on concerning Sodomitic marriage. I mean, what a, what a tragedy. People were really shocked by that in this country. Uh, what a, a a a fool for Ireland! Uh, as I said uh, in my newsletter, they, Ireland is not a great country in any worldly sense. It, it never conquered empires. It never was a rich place. It never uh, never had any huge beautiful city in it. it, it, it you know, it was pretty uh, backward in those in those respects. But it is the greatest country of Europe because it preserved the Catholic faith despite intense persecution by, I'm sorry to say, the English. and. and
0: is my lord. I'm half of Irish descent anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> In that sense, they are the greatest country of Europe, and the, the Irish themselves never persecuted the Catholic Church, and that cannot be said of any other European country. The church has lived through persecution from its own people uh, in all the countries of Europe except Ireland, and that that was a terrible blow to me. Of course, I'm mostly Irish, uh, and uh, the uh, I just thank God that my grandfather was not alive to see that, my mother was not alive to see it. Uh, it just would have been a a hard thing to see. It's so shocking. That Ireland could, in a matter of fifty years, lose the faith that they kept for those fifteen centuries despite intense persecution uh the, it's It's just a shock, but in any case uh the 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 glory of the Catholic Church is that perseverance in the faith, no matter what no matter what happens, no matter what deprivations we have what we have to do we're going to preserve the faith even if we have to face death and many priests in england did face death you know they were discovered by the police and they they were put to death uh, i was so edified to see the inscriptions of the jesuits in the tower of london the last time i was there uh who yeah, were people who were put to death by elizabeth uh, and um it was very very edifying to see their courage and their their faith in those prisons um so uh yeah if the catholic faith loses that intransigence a holy intransigence with regard to what is catholic and, and what is non-catholic uh uh and the ability to suffer for the faith it it crumbles it just will be flattened so it it's tragic to see people who have been given the grace to resist the the novus ordo and then go off and compromise with it <laughs> they they, they they've been taken away from the savage dog and they walk up to the dog and put their hand in his uh, their their hand in his mouth
0: yeah <laughs> no ab- ab- absolutely and and there are there are with you know, with modern t- well you said you said to me in the past the the two key enablers of the um, the certificantist or the, the the traditional catholic movement have been the jet engine and the internet and the internet does provide a lot of resources. They've um, got some going to the Great Open, Ohio, Broadcasting mass um, several times a day on Sunday. People can still pray their rosaries. They still have statues in their houses. They can still do everything, apart from physically go to their local uh, Navisordo building. But they can they can see a true mass and they can they can see a true mass being offered. Uh, on the internet, and they can unite themselves with that mass, which is truly Catholic. So yeah. that that people have options available to them. Um, there is an enormous, yeah, we well, we can also from personal experience, there is an enormous uh, emotional attachment um, that you feel that that first Sunday, that first Sunday when you don't go, even it doesn't matter how convinced you are that the that the position is correct. The first Sunday that you don't go is always extremely hard. Mm-hmm. But, That's but, true. I remember it myself. But in in reading and in and in prayer, and you you slowly you slowly come to the conclusion. And a lot of people say to a lot of people say to a lot of people you know I still know within the SSPX, they will still say to me, oh you know how is your faith doing? You know how, how are you how are you surviving not going to mass on Sunday? And well, first of all, actually, you know we do get to mass. Um, Every couple of weeks, we can still do that. And secondly, I'm talking directly to the people who may be thinking about it at the moment. Secondly, I can absolutely promise you, I can assure you, if you do it out of good, if you do it for good reasons, and and they are good reasons, and out of good faith, and you are absolutely convinced of the 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 reason that you're doing it, your faith will not only survive it will actually thrive you because you will, and that you you're taking a principled stand, and you know why you are not going anymore, and that that that's that's worth so much more than simply going along every Sunday out of habit.
1: Yes, and going to something that is displeasing to God, your resistance is pleasing. Your 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 refusal to be part of something that is not Catholic is pleasing to God. That's your sacrifice that that uh, you you do not have a mass to attend and it is a terrible sacrifice because you would love to go to mass uh but that is pleasing to god just as, as the uh, you know the uh, the english catholics had mass very seldom uh catholics in this country uh, in the united states uh in the rural areas the rural farm areas only saw mass perhaps once a month that was in ordinary times you know, so it's you know the the idea of the city parish where the doors are always open and and you have daily mass and all that was not always true. I mean, people living in Africa and people living in the in Canada uh you know, they might see a priest every you know few months. Canada is really big
2: <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's full, full the of the nothing. <laughs>
1: Uh, You know, we think our country is big, but then when we cross the border, we find out how big Canada is. Uh, So, uh, um, uh, you know, you must act according to Catholic principles. That's the only thing that pleases God. If if you have the Mass, thank God. If you don't have the Mass, well, then offer up the absence of it to God as a price of, of adhering to principle. That is pleasing to God, and and the ultimate purpose
0: of life is to please God. Okay, thank you very much, Lord. Right, well, we better wrap it up there. There were a few more questions, but they're going to have to wait for another show, I'm afraid. Um, May I thank you, my Lord, for being my guest today? May I also wish you good health and continued success in the work you do at Most Holy Trinity Seminary, truly the most important work in the world.
1: Very good, and thank you for a good interview. You did great on your interview. (laughs) So, uh, you. so you should have confidence. We didn't have to forgive you anything. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. Thank you, thank uh, you very right. so much. Thank you. Bye.
0: If you have any questions for His Lordship or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at anti-modernist at truerestoration dot org, and we will pass along your questions or comments we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found the show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who help make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond a material contribution, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the restoration, I am Matthew Gaskin. May God bless you.